Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. I am Carlo. And I'm Corey. And today we are going to talk about what to do after you have decided you love Jesus. Woo! So welcome back to Carlo and Cody. It's been a little while, but it's good to have you guys here. Corey. What'd I say? Cody. I said Carl and Cody? You did. It's okay. I answered them both. There's too, there's too many. It's not, for the record, he has a brother named Cody. Yeah. Uh, it's not because of that. It's because I just recorded episodes with Cody. So it's it's tough when all the people you know are named Carlo and Cody and uh, Corey. And there's a, you know, there's a Chase in my life. There's just a Connor, a Connor in but, my life. But to be fair, you've never called Cody Corey. That is not true, actually. <laughs> that is, that is I was, 100% I, I not wanted true. To, yeah, I literally, that's actually so not true because <laughs> the text message reminder that we were going to record this episode today, I, who did I originally send it to? Cody. <laughs> I feel better. Uh, yeah, good. I'm glad. And yeah, so today we were talking about this idea of, you know, we had a conversation a little while ago just about what do you do after, you know, you've had an encounter with the Lord? How do you... Uh, how do you transition into a life of actual holiness? Because it's not easy. A lot of times there's a lot of pitfalls in it. And, you know, there's probably a clickbait title in here somewhere. The, you know, the top 10 pitfalls to avoid after you've decided you love the Lord, but we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to say it probably be something along the lines of, so you decided you love Jesus. Now what? Uh, because I think there's, there's an expectation of what it means to be Christian. And it's been on my heart because I, I'm reading about some of it in the screw tape letters. I know it's been, on uh, Corey's heart because he has reflected, been reflecting on his own personal testimony, things like that. And it's on the heart of Carlo because he ponders all things always. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I figured the good place to start with all of this would be just to talk about a lot of people mention a kind of, when they look back on their conversion as like a singular conversion moment mm-hmm. of like, I gave my life to the Lord in that moment and I was never the same. And I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is, do you think that that's accurate? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Do you think they're exaggerating? Do you think they're exaggerating to, you know, is it hyperbole? Is it possible? Is it necessary? Any, any, any thoughts on that will do. I mean, I think it's possible to have a life-altering moment. You know, once you have such a profound encounter with God, that will change you for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean to me that it can't go back. It doesn't mean to me that you can't fall away from him. And so you can have a conversion. But the thing is, is you have to keep converging. And since I've had my quote-unquote conversion experience 10 years ago, I've had dozens of many conversions since and many falls since, and I don't expect that to change until the day I die. Well, hopefully at least the converting part <laughs> persists. But, but yeah. I, I agree 100% with Carlo. Eddie, you're going to have to remind me of the exact terminology that you use here, but like when people come home from retreat and they're on fire about the retreat, you... you well, that's, you, not, that's not my term, just retreat high, right? Yeah, that's like the... I, I equate that moment to when people say like, I, I uh, gave my life to the Lord, let's say on October 18th, 1989. Um, when I hear their testimony, it reminds me a lot of my first retreat that I went on, Kairos Retreat and my first encounter with Christ at adoration. Like I came back and I felt for the first time in my life that God was standing in and through and next to me. And um, when I tell my, my, for my story compared to, you know, somebody who's not Catholic, who hasn't had that experience 
they're, they're about the same. And so I agree with you, Carlo. I think there are times in our faith when God makes himself very real and very known, like physically to our senses. And then there's other times in which we, we don't have that experience. And so I, I don't want to say that the people who have that experience, um, it's not real, but I, I would say that that's the starting line. It's not the finish line. And if you try and just live in that moment, then you're just always at the starting line of, of the spiritual life. Yeah, that's fair. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to downplay any of it, right? Because the people who have profound moments of, of grace in their life, mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of pitfalls with it. Like you had said, uh, there's definitely a transition. Like if your relationship, for example, with a, with a loving relationship or even like a romantic relationship, if you were in the honeymoon phase for forever, there's a problem there. That's actually probably a, not a good sign of the relationship. It's probably that you guys are in denial of something or whatever might be going on. I would imagine a similar, similar case with God. God essentially promises that that's not going to be the case if you have a relationship with him. So if you find yourself in the case that everything's good all the time with you and the Lord, uh, and there's no difficulties, no hardships, and no, uh, I guess I was just going to say difficulties again. So difficulties are hardships. It's probably indicative that you're not entering into an authentic relationship. I also feel there's a risk involved with it where it's a comparison thing, right? Mm. It's who had the greater conversion, who had the crappier life before they converted <laughs> and who had the most profound conversion experience. Let's put that, let's give that guy a microphone, right? Let's get, and not, not to downplay those moments, right? But I, I see a lot at the high school level where it becomes a, like a lot of times on, on like a Kairos retreat or something, it becomes a, how crappy is my life show, right? Where yeah. like, I want to make everyone cry and tell them how God has moved in my life, which again, there's totally a place for that. But it, especially to, to a forming mind of, someone entering the faith, it can become a pride thing very, very easily. And there's there's a pitfall there as well. And not to mention, what about people who don't have that experience, right? They maybe feel isolated. Mm-hmm. So not to take away from those experiences, because absolutely, in, and people can remember a moment where they really first encountered the Lord. By all means, that's a grace. That's a that's a gift. And to, to always have that moment to go back onto. But if you find yourself maybe not having that one specific moment, kind of like myself, I mean, I I always, when I was a kid, would say there was my confirmation retreat, adoration. But, like, I even, like, now, like, looking back, even then I was kind of like, Eddie, you're reaching here. Like, Mm -hmm. that wasn't what that was. It's not 100% necessary. And to not let it, like, inflate to your relationship with the Lord is as strong as your first conversion moment, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. We need an air quotes sound effect. (laughs) It would be be helpful, (laughs) but... uh, yeah, I remember when I uh, my first job after high school, I was working at Home Depot, and uh, there was a guy when I we used to talk all the time about our religious life and faith life, and he would always ask me like, "What was the significant moment in your life in which you came to the Lord?" And very much like this, you know, Protestant idea of can you name the exact time place uh, when this happened? And I couldn't, I never could, and still to this day, I don't think I really can. I can only tell you these different peaks in my life in which I experienced God, but there's also valleys. Uh, I've been reading Psalms a lot lately, and I think David very much reflects what we're talking about here. You can read David in one Psalm, and it seems like he is having a profound experience with God, and then read three Psalms later, he's lamenting how he does not feel God, and God has retreated from him. And that, for me, very much hits home sometimes with Sometimes like, in the same Psalm. Like, like yeah, so, <laughs> No, really, sometimes in the same Psalm, and that's very much what the spiritual life is like, is, is um, we've talked about this before, uh, Eddie and I about it being like a great game of hide and go seek with God. Like God makes himself very known and he tags you and says, you're it now come and find me. And he recedes for a little bit and you find him in scripture, you find him in prayer, you find him in the mass and then you feel him again. And then um, you might retreat because of your own faults and your own sins. And then God comes and finds you. And it's just, it's, it's a relationship. Like you said, and the butterflies are not always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But that's a testament to your faith. When the butterflies aren't there, are you still seeking out God? Because when you love somebody and the butterflies aren't there, you're still hanging out with that person and calling them and texting them. And that's what we see with David. David, is all, it's, it's love letters to God. And there's times when him and God are not on the same page because of his own sins. And there's times when him and God are on a great page. But Because of see, God's sins. Because... <laughs> Edit that out, but <laughs> never. <laughs> but what we do, but we'll, right, what we see with David is that he's persistent, and mm. and I and I mm. uh, will pass it off to you, Carlo, because I, I think you can talk a lot about just persistence because we've had these conversations before. Yeah, um, I know for me, like, so my big conversion was ten years ago, and the first year was just awesome, you know, and prayer was easy, the spiritual life was easy, morality was easy, everything was easy, and I didn't know it at the time, but like. I should have expected desolation to come pretty soon after that. That's exactly what happened. And I couldn't make any sense of it for like three, four or five years. And it kind of rocked, re-rocked my world and kind of shook my face sometimes. And that's the whole point. Like when you first come to the Lord, you're blessed with all this grace because you need it because otherwise you're going to fall back. Um, so that's why sometimes people have this big moment only because you're so weak. Mm. And when God pulls away such immense consolation from my own life, it was a purification of, do I love him because I love him, or do I love him because he makes me feel good? Yeah, we were just talking about this in my class because I basically said, well, I'm reading the screw tape letters with all my students, just like one letter a day before they do their prayer. It's, it's pretty, they're actually taken to it pretty well. But, you know, he talks about that God doesn't desire, he desires our maturity, right? He desires our free choice in relationship. And I explained to them just like if every time you went to prayer, you felt something really good all the time. Like if you go to God to feel good, that's a drug, right? That's yeah. that's pornography, that's sex, that's whatever. Like any, you can do any myriad of things, and more or less, I mean, not that you would. I mean, I don't want to say you could, could get addicted to God, but in a sense, you could, right? You could, like, if I go to prayer, if He gave you consolation every single time, you would be going to prayer because you want consolation, not because you love the Lord, and that is disordered, right? And that sinner's take says no to that. Yeah. Um, so God, so God risks it, and I think a lot of times the risk with this whole consolation and retreat high period of faith, fall, you're climbing and falling the same ground over again disguised as growth, right? Where it's, you're, you have these experiences with God, and then God, like like you said, he, he wants to walk you through this desolation, He I mean, and we don't feel like he's walking us through it, but he is, and because he, he says, I want you better, right? I want you, it's like, I'm tired of this, mm-hmm. this kiddie pool faith, so we're going to swim, right? We're going to swim in the deep end for a little bit, and then we get we give up, and so God's like, okay, back to the kiddie pool with you. And then He comes to get you again, and then you're like, oh my gosh, God loves me again, right? And, and you have these consolation moments, but then immediately He takes you right back to where He was like, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna try this again. But guys, like, no, 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 I don't want it. And they just end up like you know climbing up a little bit, falling back down. God gets them, climbs up a little bit with them again, they fall back down again. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually growth; it's not actually entering into the holy life. Um, I'm I'm there. That's exactly where I am. I was talking to Carlo about that. Um, I was confiding in you yesterday. I mm-hmm. think we did. We've been doing benediction um, on Fridays. Uh, Eddie and Carlo and I together. And on Friday, I had a profound experience, like where I was drawn to tears, and I, for the first time in a long time, was just on fire. And like, I love my Catholic faith so much, and I I could have done it for another hour, and I. Over the weekend, I ended up in a state of desolation and a state of desolation that has been very detrimental to me um, until having a conversation with Carlo and taking it to adoration today. But the one thing that I can take from that is exactly the kiddie pool thing. Like God is like, okay, are you doing this because you want this feeling or, you know, because it's very easy to believe when you feel it, but but it's a real test of faith. I always think in a state of desolation of Jesus Christ going through the desert. 
you're in the desert, you're spiritually hungry, but will you give in to temptation to deny the faith? To Sometimes we're wrestling with one question, and that one question is like a splinter in our brain, and we can't get it out. But will we throw ourselves off or bend our knee to that temptation, or will we keep going through the desert and then be ministered to by, by the angels? Because I do have to remind myself of this. Every time I've made it through a state of desolation, I have always come out stronger in the faith. Um, but it's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're traveling through that desert. Yeah, the only thing that comes to mind right now, too, is just going back to the romance. Like This is true in my relationship with my wife, you know? There are seasons of great romance, and it's easy to love her then. And consolation has its place because God wants us to be like that. He wants us to be happy. He wants it to be easy to love. But, like, if I'm really going to love my wife, then I got to love her, too, when— you know, it's not all touchy-feely, cuddly, cute, and Valentine's Day, you know? And that's kind of when I love her better and more. It's, uh, where, it's where the love is actually tried, yep. right? It's where, it's where it's the most real. It's where yep. it is the most sacramental, too, you know? Yep. Um, and so that's the screw tape. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis talks about this specifically. I, I, I think we've probably talked about, we've talked about desolation. It's come up. How can you talk about, how can you have even a semblance of a podcast that remotely talks about prayer life and not talk about desolation all the time? Hmm. But Screwtape talks about, I think we've used this exact quote. He says, there's a moment in time where you, you switch, there's the transition in everything that a human being does from, he calls it dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. The idea of it's all in your head. Like this, I, I want to be this holy person. I want to be this incredible athlete. I want to be this incredible scholar. I want to go to this great college, whatever it might be. I want to have this amazing romantic relationship to laborious doing the actual act of getting to work with it. Because I think, and we, we just talked about, we maybe even talked about this in like the last episode, but we talked about the montage mentality where we, everyone's okay with like the montage. Well, I, I can work hard for three minutes during Eye of the Tiger and then be really good at something on the under, on other end of it. But that's not how life works. That's definitely not how the spiritual life works. So mm-hmm. just to be mindful of that period of desolation. And again, we like to reemphasize, not to speak badly, if you have a moment of the Lord where you're like, this, my, my life was never the same. Like, oh, hold on to that. Remember that. And visit, revisit that in moments of desolation where, like, again, so that it can inspire you to move forward in your faith life again. Don't harbor on past feelings with it. Don't, like, think that holiness is behind you, right? Mm-hmm. No, holiness is pushing forward. And if you need to kind of rem- remember something in order to push you forward, that, that's a good thing. But I think because the other risk of it, too, is just the idea, you know, the Protestant idea of once saved, always saved. And I think that that's incredibly flawed, mm-hmm. right? Because they just, you have to try and you have to weasel away from things so much with when it comes to, I, I always bring up Judas when people talk about like they've had this, inc- if you've had a conversion, a real conversion moment, you can never turn away because God is all that, all that powerful, all that amazing. But I mean, look at Judas, like you're going to really tell me that Judas, the only way to weasel away from it is to say that Judas never had a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's just asinine, right? Like there's no, you're going to tell me that he, the guy lived with him for three years and didn't believe that he was the Messiah and like was just harboring these resentment feelings until he find out a way to kill him. No, like he had a relationship with him. Human beings are weak. He couldn't handle it and he mm-hmm. fell away. And so I think to know that even if you do start to fall away, that doesn't tarnish the moment that you had with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, oh, I had this amazing conversion moment, but then I fell away and it's gone now, right? And oh my gosh, it's all over. No, it, it's okay. It happens. And get back up. Know that the Lord still loves you. And it's it's a journey. It's not, it's, that was not the destination that you're trying to, you're not trying to like, like hold on to this one destination and trying to maintain your life at that state. It's again, it's a starting point mm-hmm. and there will be highs and lows forever. Yeah, I was just thinking about this as you're speaking, Eddie. You you don't get the glory of the resurrection without the crucifixion. And like these moments in which Christ is calling us to carry a cross, and uh, sometimes it's an intellectual cross or an emotional cross or a physical cross. We have a physical ailment. 
I, w- I was reading today a book that Carlo had given me, and, and in the book it was just talking about how a lot of the saints, in the moment of carrying the cross, they focus not on the future, but in the moment, and the joy of the moment of being able to carry the cross with Christ. And um, I think when you bury your head uh, in the moment and you appreciate what God is doing for you, that you're the clay and he's the potter and it hurts, it takes away from, you know, how long is this going to last for? How long am I going to be going through this state of desolation for? How long till I, and I think these are the wrong questions to be asking, how long until I get to feel you, Lord, again? Because then you miss the fact that he's standing there right next to you carrying a cross. You guys are doing it together. You guys are being crucified together. He's right there. And when you ask, Lord, when will I feel you again? You're ignoring the fact that he's right there with you in the moment. So just remember when you're, when you're going through this stuff, you cannot get to that next state of consolation if you do not bear down and, and weather the storm of the desolation. The cross leads to the resurrection. I think because I fall into the camp that what you were talking about oftentimes where I'm like, oh my, it's just desolation. Like, <laughs> oh, or like what Carl was talking about, several years sometimes, right? Where it's just, and it's like, oh, I guess that's that's my life now, right? This is what it means to be holy. I take up my cross and I just suck it up, right? It's right. all right. God told me to, but we, and I, I oftentimes don't hope for the resurrection. I feel like mm-hmm. I, my my default is endure the cross, and indefinitely, right? And I and I and I oftentimes hold out little hope for consolation to come back to, and I think that that for me that's a defense mechanism with like because mm-hmm. if you start to if you start to expect it. It's like, what happens if it doesn't happen when you want it to? Like, I want consolation and don't get it. So therefore, my defense mechanism for it is consolation, therefore, doesn't exist. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the same. And I feel the same way about intercessory prayer, which I think we should have another episode about sometime. But uh, just I struggle to pray for things that I want, because it's just easier to say, God will make it happen if he wants to if he wants to make it happen. And so more so than I pray for something and it doesn't happen. It's easier for me to that's no, okay. I'll pray for other people. I won't pray for anything for myself, you know. Another topic that we would like to talk about is uh, scrupulosity, something I know that all of us have experienced, but especially uh, Eddie and I have talked about it over the years because me just um, being the youngest Catholic of the group, not by age, but by years that I've been confirmed in the church, it was something that I struggled with coming out of the RCIA program, the adult confirmation. You come out and you hear, okay, here's all the teachings of the church that I didn't know about before, and mortal sin and venial sin, and you got to go to confession if you're in a state of mortal sin, and then not knowing really how to discern these things. Am I really in a state of mortal sin? Am I not in a state of mortal sin? Did I have full knowledge of these things? Um, so we're going to talk about scrupulosity a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about it, but uh, if Eddie or Carlo, you guys would like to talk a little bit first before I go, because I'd like to gather my thoughts. Yeah, you've got the dirty, dirty scroops, man. <laughs> <laughs> scroops come for everybody. Uh, or... Also, uh, scroopstipation, as I heard it called once. Scroopstipation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's hilarious. I definitely have that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I don't. So, Carl, yeah. if you want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, sure, kidding. sure. I, I totally, I think, I, no, nah, whatever. It's fine. Go ahead, Carlo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, scrupulosity is not necessarily something everyone struggles with. And I think, I think the common disposition, disposition we're kind of getting at is when you first have this kind of bigger conversion moment. Because you're so focused on conversion and rejecting sin, right? You want to reject all sin in your life. So you look more deeply, look more heavily. And for some people, that may actually be a balance. Maybe if you're a lax person, maybe that brings you more to like where you should be. For me, I'm a naturally scrupulous person. Like my whole life, I'm a rule follower. Like I just, I don't want to create any waves. I'm very passive um, by like my nature. It's just my personality. So when I had this conversion moment, it was like, I don't want to do anything to upset the Lord at all and like to the utmost detail. So I remember when I was first trying to like get in the rosary 
if I would yawn, I would hold in the yawn and try to pray past the yawn. Like I wouldn't allow myself to yawn. And if I did yawn, I would repray the Hail Mary. And and it would took me it took me forever to get through the rosary because because you yawn when you're out of breath. <laughs> and when you're praying out loud, you run out of breath. So I, I yawn all the time. Um, it's just my my body. And yeah, so it was that kind of scruples like I can't even get through prayer because I don't want to do anything disrespectful. Yeah, I I went to uh, I remember going to confession and and I don't know if this happened to you guys, but I was struggling with the same sin over and over and over again. And then there was a time that um, the sin was on my mind and I almost fell to the temptation, but I didn't. But I went to confession and I told the priest, "Hey, I know I've been confessing this sin and it was to the same priest, but this time I didn't sin, but I still feel really guilty because I was even thinking about the sin." And the father, Father Dave, said, "When I when you leave the confessional, I want you to go stare at the cross." because I really want you to contemplate what it means for him to be infinitely merciful. Uh, more often than not, we put so much stress on ourselves that we forget victories that have happened. And like he's like, this is something you should be celebrating. You didn't mm-hmm. fall to the sin, and you're not in a state of mortal sin because you didn't do the sin. Yes, you, you, know, you, you were contemplating this sin, but you have not given any of the credit to God because you were victorious in this. Um, and so that really helped me in my scrupulosity to just be like, okay, there are these little moments in which there are victories that are happening, and God's mercy is so infinite that to yawn during the rosary or to contemplate a sin, but then to be able to not uh, give in to that temptation, those are moments of grace and those are moments of mercy. And if we just get hyper-focused on the sin and feeling shameful, we have to remind ourselves that a lot of times we are our hardest critic, that God loves us. Mm. Um, obviously, when the act is done and the act is a mortal um, sin, you have to go to confession. But if the act wasn't done and you were victorious, give glory to God. Give glory to God because um, it can be equally as damaging to the spiritual life if you ignore those victories and those moments of grace. Yeah, I think my own personal... Now, to explain my own reason why I don't think I struggle with scrupulosity as much is because I think I, for most of my prayer life, in faith life just lived in a state of denial about sin where, and I think that that's, it's a, it's an offshoot of my pride. Um, I'm the most prideful person I know. (laughs) 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 I'm the best at being prideful. (laughs) Uh, It's no, it's, I think it's because I've, I can't handle, um, be sin. I can't, I don't, I can't handle it in my life. And I think my, actually my scrupulosity oftentimes comes with, it's only when it's a sin that is, noticeable to other people it's like a, a public sin and I want I want to reconcile it immediately like I said something I felt like I was short with my mom when I was last time I talked to her so I'm driving in the car and I can't stop thinking about it, so I call her immediately even if the last conversation we had was like 10 minutes ago and I'll be like hey just like didn't like the way our conversation ended and the thing that's super annoying about it is because then it kind of almost paints me in a good light like oh he's being so thoughtful but like it's just it just creates this cycle of I do something bad and then I just instantly remedy it and it almost like makes me it feeds the pride because like I said, my pro- the problem for me is I have this overestimated self-appreciation for, like, my own holiness. Mm-hmm. And so any sin, m- it must not be sin because, like, if it is, then I'm not as holy as I think that I am. So most of my life, especially when I was younger, and I still struggle with the day with, like, the stuff that we just talked about, it, it was just much easier for me to say I, that wasn't sin, right? Or, like, or I just lived in denial of sin, which I think actually kind of ties us in well to what we— this other thing that Carla wanted to talk about with, like— fixating on one specific sin and oftentimes it's the easiest target is lust right i mean it's the first mm-hmm. level of of hell and dante's inferno for a reason because it it's a deadly sin because but that that's like what gathers the most people in because we're so vulnerable in this mm-hmm. and in my head it it really was that was the only sin i had in my life right it was 
it was it was that and everything else was fine and it wasn't until like you know through much grace where i'd be like oh my gosh where did this sin come from like has this been here the whole time <laughs> like but that's how scrupulosity almost manifested it manifested itself in my own life where like just reverse scrupulosity which i guess if you know if that's a thing tm sinner's take right there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, it was the experience of, I was struggling with lust before my conversion. I, we got to find like a new name for it because it's not, it wasn't even a conversion. I was born and raised Catholic. It was just a reversion. I don't know. And encounter encounter. <laughs> I, I, for the most part, like I stopped doing the sins of lust that I was doing like a normal 14 year old boy. And, um, and I was able to move past it. And then it was like, great. I got nothing else, you know, and and I didn't have the self-knowledge and self-awareness to realize now that I'm older, it's like the entire time I thought I was this really patient guy and I've come to realize how impatient I can be. The entire time I thought I was this really humble guy who thought to love himself and I realized my self-dejection was actually a form of pride. And it was all that time I realized, like, I thought, you know, I wasn't attached to material things and I've come to realize now that I'm older and I'm married and I have a job, like, there is greed in my heart. And, and I was so hung up on lust and that I either did or didn't do it, that I failed to look at anything else in my own heart. And um, yeah, so that was a pitfall, pitfall for me for for the first three, four years. And we don't even realize that the Lord, I, I believe it was Augustine who, who realized this, that oftentimes the Lord will give us less specifically so that we realize that we're sin, there's sin in our life, right? Mm. That like, he's like, no, 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 like you, you're not better than sin. And I'm going to keep tempting you. I'm gonna, well, God doesn't tempt us. God allows us to be tempted. He's like, I'm going to keep allowing you to be tempted with lust so you can see how bad you are at this, right? This holy life. And that's actually the greatest risk of guys of, of purity, right? Is pride, right? It's it's the guys who, who are able to overcome the sin of lust. They think exactly what Carl was saying. Like they think that, well, both. What, what else could there possibly be in life, right? And I need to correct myself, too, because even when I thought I had defeated lust, I've also come to realize I didn't. Yeah. I defeated one sin of lust, and yeah. there's many others, and I've fallen into those many times since. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, go, I agree. Going off of exactly what you guys said, for, for me personally, it, it was like, okay, I uh, come out of my RCIA, I'm on fire for the Lord and the Catholic faith, and... I'm like, okay, what's sin number one that I'm going to tackle? What's been the what's been the hardest one? And you box lust up and you say, okay, lust, I'm going to tackle you. And then when I tackle lust, I'll move on to the next thing and I'll evaluate my life, not realizing that all my sins in my life are intimately connected and bound up together and tied up together. And it wasn't until uh, I heard Carlo give a talk to his students on proper speech and using the Lord's name in vain. And then my wife was pregnant and I was like, hey, I really need to put my language in check at the house because when I have a baby at the house, I can't be using the language that I'm using anymore. So I made an honest effort during quarantine to stop cussing at the house, which meant I had to stop listening to music that used cursing, which meant I had to stop watching movies that had cussing in it. And when I stopped watching movies that had cussing in it and, wa- and listening to music that had cussing in it, there was no more explicit images of women in music videos or nude scenes in movies. And so the temptation to beat lust got so, or, or got, you know, I mean, the, the ability to beat lust through the grace of God got better because I started to, you know, like pull the yarn string in the, in the, in the yarn ball. And then lust came with this whole defeating of the sin of, you know, using proper language. So they're all intimately connected, at least from my experience. But the, but the biggest thing that I have fallen for, and I've talked to Eddie about it and Carlo mentioned it was never say that you defeated the sin because you didn't. God defeated the sin. You turned to God and did it. And every time I would say, yes, I have this in control, I didn't have it in control. 
But when I turn to God and say, Lord, you have, I'm giving this to you for you to control and to help me win this battle, I find myself victorious every single time that I give it to the Lord. Yeah, it's almost like trying to unbake a cake. It's like, all right, I'm going to go back and, and I'm going to pull out all the sugar. Like, yeah. no, no, no. It's it's all mingled together now. You, like, you're stuck with all of it now. Yeah. So, uh, and this kind of goes with what I think it was, it was either Carl or, or, or Corey. You guys wanted to say that, talk about just the fact that you don't possess virtue. Mm-hmm. You don't, which is helpful in things like this, I think, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can come. I, I mentioned earlier and I kind of just casually just flung it in there intentionally. Just like, <laughs> yeah, you don't own the virtue. I thought I owned lust and I don't. And no, lust is not a virtue. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I thought I owned chastity and I thought I killed lust. It was gone forever. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It just it was just one sin. And then even that one sin, it's not like it can't come back. It's only by God's grace that it, it hasn't. But like it's I'm not I'm not invincible. I remember um, I had one professor who gave a sort of an old man. Basically, who was like. He's dying, and this this woman wanted to like just comfort him. He's like, "Don't touch me, woman. The fire of lust has yet to leave my bones." <laughs> He's like this eighty five year old dude on his deathbed, just to like you know, like it's not over till it's over. I'm, I think it was actually Saint Francis said something along the lines of like, "Oh, you know, you know, you're a saint." He's like, "No, I could I could end up a prostitute this very day." <laughs> like a classic Saint Francis hyperbole. It's like, no, you can't, <laughs> but like he could. Um, two more things that we wanted to talk about. Two more kind of pitfalls ish. Uh, one is just the, how do you, you gotta, you gotta come to terms. It's kind of, this one's kind of related, but how do you come to terms with your own hypocrisy? Right. I don't even know if I really like that phrasing because you're not, it does, just because you say something is good and you fall short of it does not make you a hypocrite. Right. Absolutely. Like it, it's not like, oh my gosh, you say you're Catholic and you sin, you're a hypocrite. Right. Mm. But no, but there is a, there is a level of you are going to struggle with everything still. And you have to come to terms with that. You can't try to, and like I said, I think. They're all, these are all kind of layered on top of each other. But in my own experience, it was much easier for me to just deny that I was a sinner than to admit to being a sinner because that it was much, it was much more you know, a, safer, a safer battle for me. But it even, it even talks about it in the Screwtape letters, right? It's like letter two, I think, where he talks about how the guy has become Christian and he says, don't worry, uh, it's quite possible. We've had a lot of people who go, turn, turn, to Christians, turn to Christianity and then immediately fall away because he says all of his, all of his habits and patterns are still in our favor, right? Just like, it's not like instantly saying, oh, I love the Lord is going to instantly fix every bad habit you have in your life. And God knows that, right? God, 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 that's, that is all on the table. God is aware of it and knows that when he reveals himself to you, when, when you have an encounter with him, he's not like overcome all of your problems and then you'll get the, you'll get the rest of this, right? Like, here's a little taste, like come back for more when you don't have any sin anymore. And you just have to learn to be okay with, like, be okay with the struggle. There is honor, great honor, great virtue in just the struggle of it, right? I mean, to pull the the obvious Catholic speaker card, right? Is that's what sin means, right? Is no, not no, not sin. No, what is it? Temptation? What is it? Wow, I totally botched this. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea. The, what, too, is, what does it mean? There's there's some word it means to like the struggle against that has its its base in is it temptation? I think it's temptation. Okay, temptation yeah. literally means struggle or something like that. something like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, that's embarrassing. But uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna edit it out. So <laughs> there is something in it that means that whatever we are going to struggle against sin our whole life. End of speech. <laughs> For me, with with my students, I'm I a lot in the last two years have not been afraid to say when we're when we're talking about um, seven deadly sins to say I struggle with pride or I struggle with this. Um, it's a it, it's a good check of the ego 
to know, you know, where you are with the Lord. Is Lord number one or am I putting myself number one? And I just, you know, really quick want to refer to St. Peter. When I was doing New Testament studies, uh, there's proof that Mark, you know, gathered his information from Peter because of all four Gospels. Peter is basically portrayed in a different light, and I don't want to say a worse light, but like is you could tell that the author of Mark is really harsh on Peter, and uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who was teaching the class, was saying that's because Peter told him, don't paint me out to be any, but any higher than I actually am. And um, it just goes to show you, like, even after Peter was given the keys and he was and he was leading the church, he never wanted anybody to have a false idea of his holiness. And that starts by not allowing yourself or other people have that false idea. Like, so if people think that you're this holy person, especially for us who teach theology, it's like, no, we're not. We're not holy. We're we're working on our holiness, but we're never. We've never reached the peak, like your example of the old man, mm-hmm. till till we finish the race. Yeah, mm-hmm. with, with Peter, when he got the keys, it's like five verses later that Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. So, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you need, if, you need, if there's ever a, uh, an allegory for the spiritual life, just look right there. It's like here's mm-hmm. this amazing encounter where you know Jesus get, claims you to be his steward to the kingdom of heaven, and then he calls you Satan like, <laughs> five <laughs> sentences later. Oh, uh, you gotta love Peter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and going back to how you first phrased Eddie about about it sounding like hypocrisy after this kind of like with the emphasis of this post conversion moment. I also noticed just from, we had a praise and worship night and there was a speaker and the speaker talked about something that happened to her just months ago. And I think there's this temptation when you have this quote unquote conversion moment to talk about, God save me. I'm holy now. You know, I am in the spiritual life. I pray all the time. And it's like you, by doing that, you're actually almost denying that you're still a sinner. You may call yourself a sinner. That's great. But like, do you actually mean that? Do you actually believe that? What do you still do now? You know, what, are, what is it that you are so deeply resting with in your heart at this very moment? I think to focus on this conversion moment, you don't have to focus on that. Again, you can hold an ideal to be true and still fall short of it. Like, you can fall short of those ideals and still think that they're good and that that's what you're striving for. Mm. But, yeah, it is true, right? Don't, don't shy away from the struggles that you're feeling now because they are real. Because I think this actually is going to tie in well to the last thing that Carla wanted to talk about was is this idea of over-discernment, that— you now love the Lord, and so now, therefore, you must be a priest or a nun. Like, must be, right? Because, because I have a, um, I love the Lord now, you know? Mm-hmm. And we, I think we have a hard time distinguishing between the Lord is calling me to love him and the Lord is calling me to a vocation and to um, consecrated life. Yeah, for me, it, was, it became an obsession of how can I serve God? And I understood love as service. And if I don't constantly, perpetually serve him, I am not loving him. So then it was, well, what's the way I can dedicate myself most directly to him, most in service? Well, it's got to be the priesthood. But it didn't sit right, and the sermon also threw me a loop for many years, many, many years. And it took me a long time, classes in theology, just good holy marriages and witnesses, and just my own wife, just dating her, and to realize the beauty of marriage. But also our, our old spiritual director, Bob Siemens, helped me realize at a certain point, like, Love is to will the good of the other for the other, but the other half of it is actually exactly what you realize in marriage, which is love is communion. And like, yes, God wants us to serve him, and especially now in this life, but like ultimately heaven's just being with him. There's no there's no ministry in heaven. It's just loving him. And I think my obsession with, with vocation was a misunderstanding of love. That it's like, yes, serve, that's half of it, but also just be with him. Yeah, 
I, I don't know if I'm coining a new new terms here or not. Like Eddie always says, probably somebody way smarter than us has said this before. But I'm just thinking of like the difference between like a, a, a what I'll call micro discernment and macro discernment. I think you have this moment, this conversion or this experience where you're you want this macro discernment. All right, Lord, how do I go out into the world and I take this experience? I take your truth and I'm on fire for you. Where do you want me to go from here? And we miss the importance of the micro discernment, the internal, the focus on, okay, how do I, how do I make myself um, a little bit closer to God, a little bit more in relationship, like you're talking about, Carla, with God by the end of today or by tomorrow? And I just think about Abraham. God said, okay, leave your house and go. And it wasn't like he said, and then all of these things were going to happen. It was through micro, micro discernment, through little moments, encounters with God, prayers that happened along the way, same with the Israelites, that then God revealed a little bit more and revealed a little bit more. And so I would say focus internally on that micro discernment, and then God will reveal the big picture as you go through those little steps of getting holier and holier and holier. And that, I made the mistake of doing the macro discernment, and I'm now in my life, my, my spiritual life, I'm receding back to just the internal prayer and focusing on, all right, Lord, what do you want for me by the end of this week? Yeah, I, I do believe that the Lord cares more about how we do something than what we do, ultimately. And that's always been a big thing in my discernment, right? God would rather me be happy and married than miserable and a priest, right? God's like, the last thing we need is another grumpy old priest. So, like, <laughs> you, but yeah. there, there's great peace in that. The Lord is calling you to love him, and he knows your struggles, and he knows that we are fickle human beings and our emotions come and go. And just everything that we've just been talking about, I mean, I feel like it's good to mention that the Lord is more aware of it in your life than you are. So, we, you know, we're saying like, cut yourself some slack when you're on this journey, like struggle with these things. God understands your struggles better than you do, so don't hold yourself to a standard that he doesn't himself hold you to, which I guess I don't really like that phrasing because he holds us to a very high standard, but is always willing to catch us when we fall short of that standard. Mm -hmm. I guess it would be a better way to word that. Um, so, yeah, closing thoughts? I'm, I was trying to think of a way to phrase it, but, like, if you, think you're a, if you think you were a bad person, don't wait. You're worse than your thought. If you think God saved you, just wait. He's going to save you more than you realized. Like, That's good, yeah. <laughs> you're, wor you're worse than you realize. <laughs> And he's going to save you even harder. <laughs> like, it's only just begun. The good, the good has only just begun. Yeah. Take it to prayer. And that's, that, that's my biggest advice, is that uh, if you want to know what God is calling you to do, then sit down and let him tell you. Uh, so take it to prayer. Yeah. Well, for all of us here at Sinner's Take, you will hear us in the next one.